everyone. Welcome back to Ed Pure and Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you through support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined again by Joshua Yen. He runs the Apologetics for All YouTube channel, and we're going to be talking about Apostate Prophet's case against God's existence. Uh, so we'll be going through that. But Josh, welcome. How are you doing, man? Thank you. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. It's fun to talk with you, and it's going to be fun to talk about um, Apostate Prophet's argument. So I have his uh, opening statement pulled up here in a second, so we'll pull that up on screen. We're just going to kind of walk through that, um, give our thoughts. It, I really enjoyed his opening statement because we were talking about it like beforehand, but it's very fresh. It's things that I don't usually hear in like arguments against the existence of God. So there's lots of great stuff here, and I really liked what AP's doing. Obviously, we disagree because we're theists, but there's a lot of fun stuff. But what do you think, Josh? I, I definitely think it is a very interesting debate. I, there was a few times or parts of his opening statement where I wasn't really sure where to pin him exactly. Was he arguing for an atheistic standpoint? Was he arguing for relativism? And that was quite an interesting thing and an interesting approach, which normally, as you've said, doesn't really appear too much in these atheist-theist debates. And it's kind of a breath, a breath of fresh air, I guess, to this scene. And it is definitely really good. It's going to be really fun to discuss it with you. Yeah, that's great. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you're listening, this will hopefully be more casual. So we'll be able to interact more if you have questions or things as we get going. But I'm going to pull up his opening statement. And we're going to get started and we'll just see where we go. This is actually a, just a quick point to stop off just very quickly, but I liked um, AP's approach here because I think a lot of times we get too focused in debates and just destroying the other guy, but it's really just about like exchanging ideas and finding truth, which is something um, we don't see enough in debates, but it's something I'm really glad to see. So, um, yes. can, you, mm -hmm. can, you hear the, can you hear the audio, Josh, or not? not sure. I don't think I can hear the audio right now. Let me actually, let me check it on YouTube right now and see if I, I can think hear it. No, I think it's on my fault because I believe that I shared the screen um, and then I didn't share audio. So that's on me. Um, so yeah, that's exactly, I didn't click the share audio box. Yep. Thank you, Josh. And thank you, Jacob Burbage in the live chat for letting me know. So it should be good now. And if you don't hear it now, please let me know. So that's my fault. But, but basically, Apostate Prophet just said thank you. And um, we're here to exchange ideas. So I apologize for that. But you should be able to hear it now. Uh, the question that we're dealing with. Uh, the, the question that we're debating and that we're seeking an answer for is not a question that has a definite answer. It's uh, not a question that we can thoroughly analyze and thereby obtain an observable objective answer. It will always only be picked up by people and used and interpreted in different ways. Something that uh, Mike says today or something that I say today might be taken and turned into completely different uh, shapes. No matter what our position on the question, uh, does God exist, is, we could assume all kinds of varieties of positions, back them up and to justify those positions with numerous arguments. Uh, and we could find suitable citations for every reasonable or absurd thing that we can present today and then consider them proof. 
whether I have the better answers today or Mike, they will simply be nothing but our answers supported by our arguments, which we or our uh, listeners consider strong because we are convinced or because we want to confirm that we are indeed right about our conclusions. I want to acknowledge that neither of us will be right today. We will only have shared our conclusions because that's what we like to do. Uh, we can't prove anything. Science will not prove anything for us. We cannot prove anything with science. All we can do is to draw conclusions from science certain scientific observations, logic, psychological observations, history, anthropology, and so on. And then from those conclusions deduce that there must be or can be or can't be or that there is no God. I want to make uh, use today a little bit of science. Right. So there's, there's a lot of good stuff here. I think this is a good um, part to stop because there's a lot of interesting ideas here from AP. But what do you think, Josh, of kind of like this kind of like um, opening before he gets into his arguments? Well, I, I definitely think that it is a very interesting way to put it. I think interesting is the best way to put it here. I wouldn't say I necessarily agree with it, but there's a few parts that I think we can pick off at the get-go. Like his first thing about no definite answer. Like the, the first time I hear that, I think we need to raise the question, is he arguing for relativism or not? And I think mm -hmm. this entire relativism versus objective truth or objective reality is is kind of seen as two opposite, how should I say it, antipodes or two opposite concepts in his entire debate. And I think it's seen in a few of his arguments later, but also mostly seen in his approach in this first place. And he also says, I think, that neither us of us would be right. We're only defending our conclusions, which I mm -hmm. think it's quite a weird way to approach a debate about does God exist or not? Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like saying, does God exist? And then says, well, neither the proposition God existing and God not existing is right at the same time. Like that would seem to me to like violate the law of the excluded middle, which says that either the truth of one proposition is right or the false or the falsehood or the opposition of that truth is right. And actually there are some mathematical approaches which do deny the law of excluded middle, but I do think that his uses of it here is quite, I, don't, I wouldn't say worrying, but, quite surprising, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, that's something I was going to say. Jacob um, in the chat just said that it sounded like postmodernism. Um, neither of us will be right. And I think I think if you asked AP, he would like affirm that, yes, either God exists or God does not exist. But I think if the point he's trying to make is we can't know with certainty either way. Like Michael kind of has his reasons and I have my reasons for denying it. And people are just going to kind of believe whatever they kind of believe already. And they're just going to kind of go with confirmation bias in this debate. So I think it is kind of weary, though, with AP because he's. it seems like he's like, we just don't know. Um which I mean, you don't know with like a hundred percent Cartesian certainty, but like you can know a lot of things um, with a high degree of probability. So that's kind of my thought on that. It's it's an interesting idea. I think he's going like full on relativism, but it does seem like he's just kind of saying like we can't know either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds sounds like a good interpretation of AP's thing. It it, it definitely yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. He's probably rather than arguing for relativism, which would seem to defeat his own point, it does seem that he's arguing more against like we don't have certainty here which seems like the better way to look at it mm -hmm. i guess it's almost like he's like saying that like um we're kind of all agnostic and we lean different ways it's almost what it sounds like um i don't think that exactly represent his view that's kind of what i'm getting from it mm -hmm. yeah all right we'll keep on going 
a little bit of history and a little bit of uh, psychology to address those uh, to address the question with three different points in perspective. The first point would be that there is disorder and meaninglessness in the world as opposed to order and meaning. The second point would be that. Uh, that God arises from the human attempt to explain natural functions and phenomena, which is an extension of the argument of uh, the God of the apps. And uh, thirdly, I would like to address this issue briefly uh, in terms of the psychology of religion, the psychology of belief or religious, uh, religious experience also. Uh, to come to the first point, that there is disorder, that, that we are surrounded by disorder. Uh, there is an age-old notion going on which uh, dominates religious debates, which has always dominated religious debates, that there is a balance, that there is order, perfection, stability, that there is something intelligent uh, in the world. Uh, but this couldn't be further from the truth. We are surrounded by chaos and meaninglessness. We don't exist within and because of order, we exist despite chaos, despite disorder. Our existence is no sign of order. On the contrary, our observations are evidence of disorder everywhere. We are on a planet that is not in entirely stable. Natural disasters are everywhere. We are surrounded by cruel climates. Destructive earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, floods, storms, unpredictable volcanoes, meteors. Our planet is constantly full of disorder. In its recorded history, it was hit by giant objects that caused vast groups of animals to go extinct forever and serve no purpose whatsoever. In our recorded history, we have numerous species that have gone extinct, including uh, nearly or intelligent uh, species. Uh, we have dealt with harsh climates and changes of our world. Uh, inhabited lands have disappeared from the map within the last millennium. A flood known as the uh, St. Marcellus Flood, for example, or also known as the Great Drowning of Men, changed uh, the map and created islands in Europe in the 14th century. It, that actually happened. It changed maps. The world changed within the last 2,000 years or 1,000 years. Um, on top of that, we have been, um, we have lived in deserts, in uh, freezing, cruel climates. We have adapted to different uh, standards. Humans have waged meaningless wars and died in masses for no significant reason. If you look back at history, you see that uh, people have died in so many conflicts in masses for seemingly no purpose, for things that were uh, very important to them, but that carry no importance to us or to anybody anymore. We have just died like mindless animals. If aliens were observing us for the last 2,000 years, they would probably think, what the hell are these people doing? But they, they would probably not think that, just as uh, we, when we look at the animals around us, many of which have gone extinct, uh, we don't wonder why these people keep fighting and keep killing each other and surviving. We just observe that as something beautiful. We have documentaries about that stuff. Uh, we watch animals kill each other in the most brutal ways, senselessly, in the most cruel ways. To us, that's just how uh, they are. And to them, all the curious things that we developed uh, intelligent humans do, including slaughtering those animals for religious purposes, have no meaning at all. All those things have only meaning to us, not, not to them. It is entirely subjective. Uh, departing from that, no, not to mention we have numerous diseases, uh, different diseases, many of them originating from the fact that our human bodies randomly are incapable of functioning properly, even if you live a, a very healthy life. If we look at our solar system alone, we see that our Earth orbits the Sun not in a perfect circle, contrary to popular belief and depictions, but rather in a quite irregular way. There is no uh, perfect pattern to it. Scientists are not sure whether this orbit is stable or whether it will change in the future. Many of them figure that it will not stay stable. In our solar system, we have numerous objects that uh, meaninglessly roam this system, causing trouble or just floating forever. Just recently, we have, uh, again, um, begun talks about uh, possible asteroids hitting the Earth in the next uh, hundred or thousands of years, uh, causing a danger of possibly destroying this planet and causing mass extinction. 
many planets in the solar system be exist beside our own and are only full of chaos, full of storms and lightnings. They can't be home to life. They serve no purpose at all. And some of them are even surrounded by numerous moons that have absolutely no meaning. For most of these objects, if they suddenly disappeared, including major planets around us, if they suddenly disappeared, nothing would change as far as we know. They would have no significant impact. Their disappearance would have no significant impact to the flow of things as they are. Uh, if we look outside of our solar system, our galaxy is full of rogue planets that float in the void forever because they were uh, ejected or probably never orbited a, a stable star. And they just float into the nothingness, a state that we, our Earth, could also be thrown into, possibly, hypothetically. On top of that, the consensus among scientists is that if climate change affects our planet, we would not be wiped out anytime soon. We would simply adapt to a new way of living, maybe under harsher circumstances. So, long story short, there is disorder, there is chaos, there is meaninglessness everywhere around us, and we exist in the middle of it. And uh, despite all of this chaos, not due to some uh, order and some great meaning, not some perfect balance, some perfect flow of things. It is nice to believe that we exist for a reason and there is some uh, great meaning and order, but looking at the cosmos as we see it now and observing that we are on one rare planet that is uh, kind of suitable for life, not perfect for life, while most planets that we see and uh, are not, and some planets might be, it is rather absurd to assert that there is order, that there is meaning, that there is some great fantastic design behind all of this, because what we see is that most of what exists right now is meaningless and a failure. Moving on to this. Right. There's a lot of great stuff here. Um, I let it go for a little bit because I figured with Apostate Prophet, he gives like three arguments against the existence of God or maybe like this would be just more expected under atheism than theism. So I figured we just go one section by section. Um, there's a lot of points he made there, Josh. I kind of wrote some notes down and stuff. But, like, what do you think of this like general case from like argument from chaos? Well, now that you've put the Apostate Prophet on 1.25 speed, I think he finally starts sounding or speaking as fast as Andrew Loke here. But <laughs> I, I do think, but but to be honest, I do think that the argument from chaos, I think it's very important that he kind of distinguishes or that we distinguish between what is disorder and chaos. And wait, what did I just say? That we distinguish between disharmony and lack of life and chaos because they're, 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 I think they're very two fundamentally different things which I think he might be equivocating in his argument mm -hmm. because maybe something doesn't produce life for us or some things might not seem too orderly for us but these same things which don't seem orderly for example what he says I think a meteor hitting earth or diseases these are the results of I think what you did in your debate with Randolph said well Fine, actually finely tuned cosmological constants and finely tuned systems around the world in, in our solar system, which are quite, by their definition, quite orderly. They follow mathematical principles. I wouldn't say they're mathematical themselves intrinsically, but you can use mathematical principles or equations given certain constants to describe most things in this universe, no matter how disharmonious they are with what we commonly conceive as life. So I think that there is a very, as starters, I think there is very, it's very important for us to distinguish between the two and see that while some things may not be beneficial to human life, it doesn't mean that there's disorder or complete chaos. The universe is still very orderly before we came to be, before humans were here, and perhaps even after humans are here. So I think there's quite a big difference between harmony and order or disharmony mm -hmm. and chaos.
Yeah, I mean, I kind of got like five sub arguments out of this kind of like argument. That was one of them where he just talks about like we're surrounded by chaos. And I think that um, just a little bit adding on to what you said, uh, if you talk to a lot of like people who are experts in fine tuning, we need this giant universe to have a planet like Earth. I'm not a scientist, but you need like the constants to act in a certain way and they produce this big universe and it provides this balance that allows the Earth to exist. And in a sense, I understand what he's saying with like the chaos of like asteroids can hit us and stuff. But at the same time, we live in a universe that's governed by laws of nature that are regular. Um, we, we, the, gra- the laws of gravity, gravity on Earth don't just disappear for no reason at random times. They're, they're constant all the time. So I understand what he's saying, but I also would kind of think that there actually is order um, more fundamentally. Another kind of a second thing that I saw brought up was like the idea of like natural evils. Like he talked about um, mass extinctions and asteroids hitting and and just all the seeming like unnecessary death. And obviously this gets like the problem evil. And, you know, there's a lot of different like theodicies about like, there's a lot of different directions you can take with like animal suffering or like, why is there tsunamis or um, things like that? But I just kind of wonder if natural evil really rules out the existence of God because I don't think it does. Um, I was reading in like the Blackwell Companion of, nat- of Natural Theology and it was talking about natural evil. And I think it was Edward Martin brought up this point where it's like, what are we expecting under theism? Like, are we expecting like no suffering at all? Or are we like, if there's some suffering in our world, um, it seems kind of like just weird to say, like, couldn't there just be like a little bit less? Like there could always just be a little bit less of suffering, I would think, unless we live in a perfect world. So I just don't really know if like the argument from natural evil really works. Um, That's kind of a weird way of putting it. I hope that makes sense. But like, what do you think about that? Well, I do think natural evil is a very interesting thing because it goes beyond the moral evil. Mm-hmm. And and he also kind of hides it in as kind of a sub-argument, as you've said, instead of making it, I'm now arguing the problem of evil. He's kind of, let's throw it in and just add a bit more to my argument as a bit more pun. Mm-hmm. But I do think, and I've grown quite, I think Plantinga raises something called, uh, and also Peckham raises something called cosmic conflict, which is the idea that natural evil is not just a result of well, the laws of nature, but also the free will or the agency of divine beings and or fallen angels kind of thing. And you may say that is quite absurd from face value because why am I now calling, saying that there's an entire galaxy or a host of angels fighting now? But I, mm-hmm. I do think there is seemingly quite an interesting problem here because, you know, like the problem of evil is normally saying, well, given a theistic worldview, there's some problems with your theism here. Because if you say, well, given atheism, is the problem of evil powerful? I mean, if you if you want to hold to the idea that objective evil cannot exist without theism, then you have the problem, well, then the problem of evil just doesn't exist at all, if you're saying on atheism. So there seemed to be some first assumption on theism for the problem, any problem of evil to work. And from that assumption of theism, you can think, well, what do we expect on theism? Do we have to expect that the only free agents are material, are physical, or can we also allow for divine other divine entities and i don't mean divine by like godly but divine as in like transcendent and metaphysical kind of more metaphysical beings and and i i do think that that's what we see in the biblical narrative and in most theistic religions that god is not the only supernatural being there is and hence my new favorite theodicy or response to natural evil is the idea that there exists these supernatural beings i guess mm-hmm 
Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, if you get into the Genesis account, people, um, another idea is, like, you know, there's this, like, large period of time between, like, verses 1 and verses 2, or it's 2 and 3 or 1 and 2, where it's, like, um, Satan kind of enters the world, and the world comes into, like, a fallen state. Um, the third argument that I kind of detected from this was, like, the idea of, like, um, like moral evil and, like, human evil. Like he talks about, like, wars and famines and diseases where it kills all these people. And, you know, there's a lot of different theodicies that you can kind of run through that are very common in this, like the free will defense or things like that. But something really interesting that I've thought about recently um, is a theodicy that I think it was developed by Vince Vital, where it kind of talks about how, like, we're dependent on these, like, great evils, like wars and stuff, like, for our own existence. Um, so just to, like, play this out a little bit. So take, for example, myself. Um, I exist as a product of my parents, obviously, and my in my dad's side, um, his mother was married to a, a guy who is, uh, like, in his early 20s, and he went to Vietnam um, for the Vietnam War, and he died um, in this war. And after um, his death, my grandmother meets my actual grandfather now, and then they have my dad, and my dad has me. Um, and this theodicy basically is just kind of talking about, like, when we deal with, like, these massive evils, like, are we really just in a position to say that this, that God wouldn't allow this? Because it seems like there could be, like, much greater goods, not saying the universe, like, depends on me. Um, but it would seem like even in these, like, massive catastrophes, like, um, AP brings up, like, all the seemingly, like, meaningless wars in his opening statement like there is some purpose that's kind of coming out of this and we just aren't really in a position to know otherwise like what the result would be there was no war two the hundred years wars things like that so it's an interesting kind of theodicy response that could be used against ap's kind of like statement he brought up about like uh significant like casualty of human humanity but what, what do you kind of think of that josh that's an interesting theodicy and i definitely think it it does work and i think i, I like a bit of history myself and a bit of psychology and I do think that wars definitely do play a very interesting role in the development of mankind. And you might think, well, war would not have led to the development of, well, without war, maybe humans would be another few thousand years in the future. But if you look mm -hmm. at war and what it's caused humans to do, you realize that most major inventions are built to war around or surrounding military technology. And, and, military, and like they're like, okay, some, our troops are really far out or like they're starving or we can't get food to them. What do we produce? We produce some canned food, which preserves food more. So I definitely think, I definitely agree with you that a lot of suffering or a lot of these so-called problems are actually or do indeed lead to better things in the future. And I definitely agree with your theodicy and I do think it makes a lot of sense. And, it, and I think it would respond to AP's um, argument here quite well and there's a note that I made I think which ties into another of his arguments about meaningless objects and he's like okay everything is meaningless and I don't want to make too much of a fuss about this how everything is meaningless but I do like to make a note here whenever I talk about meaningless in philosophy and stuff is that there's a very clear or a very big difference it's very easy I think for us for people who do philosophy to make arguments and it's a bit more difficult for us to defend our arguments and defend our claims. Of course, it's easier to attack or defeat a belief than really defend a belief. But then what is most difficult, I think, for us philosophers is, well, do you live by your philosophy and what you're arguing? Because that's normally the most difficult thing anyone's ever done. I mean, like AP, it's all well and good. And I, and I deeply respect him for coming out as one of the only atheists I've heard in a long time, just saying, well, well, everything's absolutely meaningless. And Hopefully I'm not straw manning his belief here, but I mean, the sense and the idea that the entire universe is filled with disorder and meaningless, I think 
it would be quite a good inference or at least a, a justified inference to do believe that he thinks that most things are meaningless. And the problem with that is, well, where does that bring us? What, what society does that lead us to? And I, I'm not going to go on a huge thing. Well, oh my gosh, without God, everyone's going to kill themselves. And, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I wouldn't necessarily take it that far, but the question is, do we really live by that? And does the act of us debating our discussion really bring us to that? Like, does it, is that living out, is he living out his philosophy via, mm. like from his arguments and is he applying that to his life? And there's also some discussion there as well. So that's just something I want to point out apart from, about this meaningless argument. Although I do agree with him that if if you're truly going to take everything complete, if, if you're going to get rid of God, get rid of the supernatural side and just leave it, the universe is that it is, it is, it's all physical. It's very hard, I'll say, to synthesize any notion of objective meaning. Subjective meaning mm -hmm. is fine, but it's very difficult to ground objective meaning in life. And mm -hmm. it's just, I think it's almost an undeniable fact. And I think AP kind of agrees with that here as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of willing to admit, like, you know, like life is this just like happy accident almost. And, um, you know, there may not be any ultimate meaning while we're here, but kind of make the best of like this experience while we have it. Um, I think that's kind of what he would agree with, hopefully. And if you're listening to AP, you're awesome. Uh, we thank you for this. Um, one last point I kind of got from his opening statement and feel free to like share anything else you got from it was he talked a little bit like within the beginning he talked about like being in chaos but he talked about there just being this giant universe um and then there's just this one planet that's kind of suitable for life and you have like you and us obviously i think our planet is suitable for life completely because you know we exist um so obviously there's life but then um one thing with like the giant universe thing that ip brings up i think it's in his first rebuttal is so yeah we do have this giant universe that's gazillions of light years huge um and what IP brings up, is he's like, okay, well, in this life, yes, it's totally true that we kind of have this giant universe and maybe it helps like sustain our earth in a natural way, but it, it's just like, we can't like explore all this universe and it seems like it's dead. Um, but he brings up if we have like, maybe it's like a gazillion years in the, to the future. It's a really large number. He brings up in his rebuttal of all this time, who knows what we could do with like exploring and terraforming planets and all these things. So the universe, while it may seem so big and so hard to understand in this life, if we actually have like an infinite future in heaven, then it would make a lot more sense. Um, so that's in something in IP's rebuttal that I kind of got, which would kind of answer that his last kind of objection. So do you have any other thoughts? I think that I think that covers it pretty well. I, I do think that is quite a good response. And yeah, I think that's yeah, you've covered the position quite well and it's all good. You have any other thoughts on this kind of like first argument from an argument from chaos before we kind of get into a second argument against uh, theism? I think perhaps it just says something I could add here is perhaps you could have instead of having you know planting this evolutionary argument against naturalism. I think you could create uh, um, even more st a powerful case by saying, well, perhaps let's have the universal argument against naturalism. If everything's so chaotic, if everything's so meaningless, if you change evolution here for a meaningless universe, does that not work in the same way as planting this evolutionary argument against naturalism? I don't want to go into depth here or discuss mm -hmm. it too much because I would just go completely beyond the scope of this discussion. But, <laughs> yeah. but I do think that if on the assumption that instead of just random evolution, the entire universe is completely disordered and meaningless, I think that might provide an even more powerful defeater for any truth claim than evolution itself. So just throw it out there for any food for thought, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And in, in the Blackwell Companion of Natural Theology, it's really interesting. They talk a lot about like how do we get moral realism if evolution with the, like just a purely natural evolution. Um, but I guess that's a topic for another day, and we'll kind of look at um, AP's second argument right now. To the second point, uh, that we humans uh, attempt to explain functions and phenomena with gods, uh, it is to explain, uh, explain everything right now about the universe, the galaxy, and solar system, and all that. But this is all very new knowledge. Like uh, 100 years ago, we didn't really know about the universe. The, the knowledge that we are in a giant universe with many galaxies emerged only 100 years ago. Uh, history will have explained so many things, so many functions in the natural world by using gods and divine origins. Trees, plants, wine, food, love, life, death, war, fate, lightning, water, light, wind, sky, moon, sun, and all these things. People had go- had gods and divine origins and explanations for all of that. They saw a lightning, they heard a sound of thunder coming with it, and they thought, okay, this must be happening because there is a person, a god, a mind behind that. The, the issue is that all these things always turned out to be wrong until everything evolved into one god who is apparently behind everything and who is hard to uh, perceive and to explain. But that is only relevant to us now in our conversation because of Christian and Islamic supremacy. If we went into to India, for example, things would depend on the Hindu godhead and they would have completely different uh, explanations for all of this. Buddhists, a major culture, don't even believe in a divine origin and divine creator. Uh, in, other, in many other cultures, people have uh, non-theistic beliefs. If we look at the history of humans trying to explain these things with divine origins, we see that nothing ever turned out to be supernatural. All those uh, beliefs, all those assertions, always turned out to be wrong. There is not a single example of something that we were uh, of something that we attributed to God, and it turned out to be God. So, a hundred out of hundred uh, guesses were wrong. So it is quite pointless to still dwell on that. Uh, a uh, Contemporary studies, for example, at the uh, time you understand something, religion becomes less likely. I think this very nicely captures James Watt, scientist. I think very nicely captures how uh, humans evolved to forget, to give up blaming everything and crediting God for everything. It is rather uh, baffling that we still dwell on this age-old explanation and uh, don't focus on uh, exploring and understanding the space, the universe around us in a better way. But I understand that because humans want to believe. Uh, And here I want to come to the final point, which is the psychology of religion, the psychology of belief. I understand why people want to believe. Psychology uh, understands why people want to believe. Believing in something makes life easier. Uh, It is hard for humans to accept the fact, the idea that life simply goes on without us, that after we die, we simply cease existing. my apologies. I stopped at a second too late. I was taking notes. Um, but his second argument kind of just talking about it's like more of like a God of the gaps kind of thing is that's the theistic arguments. Like, what do you think of that kind of idea, Josh? Well, I guess we could first adapt or talk about the God of the gaps thing. I like, I think what he's arguing here is like, you, it's very easy to call God of the gaps and then say literally everything is God of the gaps. But sometimes God, what you so-called God of the gaps is actually quite good abductive reasoning like it would be absurd to to suggest that well okay let's let's grant the resurrection happened for example that jesus actually rose from the dead and then you and then we say well god rose jesus from the dead and someone says well that's a god of the gaps argument you're just throwing god in anywhere i mean i mean i think that would be quite an extreme form of god of the gaps reasoning or adherence to the god of the gaps principle to say well literally everything i see or anywhere where i say god exists that that must be a god of the gaps reasoning but Apart from that, and I, and I do think that we sh- we could look more at what he actually says to kind of, because he basically says God keeps on getting disproved and, well, dependent on where you are, you might believe in a different God. And he talks about India, Hind- the Hindus and Buddhists and say, well, 
well, maybe the Buddhists don't believe in a divine nature order, which which I do think is wrong from my interactions with a lot of Buddhists and as a as a quite an Asian Hong Kong kid, I do interact with quite a lot of Buddhists. There actually is quite a divine origin to Buddhism, and you might say, and although it's not creator god kind of thing, there's a concept called the Tao, which is the idea that, well, there's this divine path or this divine way in life which all life is revolving around and evolving around this kind of universal way or universal form, which which I think would be far, very far from a naturalistic explanation of the universe. So I do think that there has to be some caution here. And also, I think the God of the Gaps argument, to take it back to that a bit, I think God of the Gaps only works whether you're talking, and I think uh, AP talks, no, IP talks about this a bit, is that God of the Gaps only really works when you're talking about, well, naturalistic gods in the sense that, or natural gods, like, oh, there's a God of thunder, a God of water, or something like that. Like, if you're going to look at things in the universe and say, well, that's a God of something, then maybe that maybe you could find a God of the gaps argument here. But then what about you could turn it around and say, well, perhaps, or what do you think about things which you don't think exist, like meaning, like in his first argument, he says, well, meaning doesn't really exist. Then when we attribute meaning to a God in the sense that God provides us with meaning in life, well, where did you get the idea from? Surely we didn't see meaning in life to get God because from his first argument, there is no meaning in the world. So it seems that from his own argument, it seems that not everything which we see in God is explained via what we see in the world. So I think there's some internal inconsistency. I wouldn't say contradiction because I don't think it goes that far yet. But there's some inconsistency with his between his first and his second argument here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, I'm glad you hit on the point about like how, how God of the Gaps is used because it's something I've thought about. Because um, you know, in like polytheistic religions, you have like the God of Water, the God of Thunder, and that's how you explain these things. But especially when you get into like the monotheistic tradition, like I think about reading in Exodus, like um, it's like I think it's Moses at the Burning Bush in Exodus three fourteen when it talks about like why God exists. It's not I exist because thunder exists or lightning exists. I'm it says um Yahweh says I'm the self-existent one. So it seems like at least in like the the, the Christian or the Jewish tradition, um, God doesn't exist because of gaps in scientific knowledge or things that people two thousand years ago didn't understand, but because he exists necessarily, which is the same thing we say now as theists. Um, but the only other thing that I kind of got out of this because it was just kind of like God of the gaps, which I understand where AP is coming from. Obviously, I disagree with it, but I understand it. Um, is he talked about that there's just nothing supernatural. Um, there's just no examples of anything supernatural, which is interesting because I just I have a hard time believing that. I, obviously, we go back to my debate with like Randolph Richardson where I brought these studies up where it's like if God does not exist, how do we, we explain these seeming instances where prayer is actually effective in double-blind environments? But even like beyond that, those studies are just like hogwash. I think to say that 100 out of 100 times, the explanation has always been natural. I don't think that's really true when you look at a lot of people's personal experience. Like if you think about it, there's probably like, four or five billion theists in the world, a couple billion Christians, or at least professing Christians. And there was a study by Pew Pew Forms, which showed in like 10 or 12 countries, it was like, I think it was like 10 or 15% of Christians claimed that they'd experienced a miracle, a supernatural event, and like 50% had had like personal experiences with God. And I kind of think that it does a little bit of a disservice to just say that there's no examples of the supernatural, um, even though I don't really like that word, because so many people across 
all of time um, in so many different diverse regions have had these personal experiences or miracles. And it would seem like at least there's a lot of people who think that there's this um, supernatural realm. And I understand that it's personal testimony, but we can't just use um, AP's testimony and that just debunks all these Christians' testimony. At best, it's like 50-50, but then the plurality of Christians, the, I think, actually would help their case. Um, so I said a lot of words there, but uh, what do you kind of think about like his argument that's just like there's just no evidence of the supernatural? Okay, okay. I think my mic kind of disconnected a few seconds ago, but I think it's back again working. Now. I hear you. Yeah. So I I do think your the dist distinction between supernatural and natural explanations is definitely quite an interesting one. And I did write that a bit as like, well, to what degree when he says, well, every all supernatural things have been debunked one hundred out of one hundred percent or something like that. Mm -hmm. Number one, where 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 on earth did he get that statistics? Did you go over every single miracle that has ever been recorded and say, well, I've gone to each one of them and did my suitable study, ticked off every single checklist in the history of the world and said, I've debunked every single one of them. But I mean, turning that aside, like to what degree? And I think here there's another point in his uh, in his rebuttal or something like that where he said, well, what evidence would I seem or deem it to be supernatural? And later on, he basically says, well, uh, in order to see or believe in something supernatural, I will either see something coming out of absolutely nothing or a massive God coming from the sky or something like that. Mm -hmm. And well, while I might not be able to defend a massive God coming out of the sky, I think it's quite clear that there is good reason to believe that at one point something did come out of absolutely nothing. So I think a miracle on his standards did actually exist. So even on his own standard of what a miracle is and what would make him believe in God, I do think that there's actually good evidence to support one of his so-called things which will make me a theist thing, because, I mean, I, I don't want to go too much about the infinity, but mm -hmm. it's quite clear that the actual infinity, or at least for me, that these concepts cannot be realized in reality, which point towards the finite space-time boundary to any or all physical matter which could have ever existed. So I think the idea of something coming out of nothing is nigh undeniable mathematically and philosophically. So even on his own degree of no supernatural things happened, it seems that mathematics points directly towards something which he claims as supernatural and a miracle. So I, it does seem that his idea of, well, miracles are wrong 100% of the time or have been disproven does not seem to be quite a strong argument, if you got what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of an audacious claim. Um, and I understand where he's coming from, but I don't think that it really works. Um, especially you talked about him just not being, I don't think he's in a position to really make that claim, um, with certainty. Um, I think we talked about everything in this like second argument, like it was mostly like God of the gaps kind of, which is okay. And then there's just no evidence of like a supernatural realm or miracles or stuff. Um, is there anything else you kind of got out of this before we go to his third argument? No, I think we've covered most of it. Sounds good. And I thank you everyone who's been tuning in with us, Spartan Theology, Curity, Deconverted Man, my man Dan, um, London Theist, everyone else. And we're going to keep on going here with his third argument. Believing in something makes life easier. Uh, it is hard for humans to accept the fact, the idea that life simply goes on without us, that after we die, we simply cease existing uh, as we did not exist before we were born, and that people simply go on without us, that everything just goes on. It is hard to accept that goodness will, reward, will remain unrewarded and evil will remain unpunished. 
we have we constantly think about why life is the way it is we try to seek some pattern in everything and we try to uh, explain life as fair or unfair when in reality life is neither fair nor unfair life is simply life there is no greater design no structure to it if we observe human history, we see that uh, for everything, the cause and effects that happened in our life were natural or we were the creator, the designer of those causes and effects. It was never God. In fact, uh, even in Christian theology, this, this idea that, uh, what, that, 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 that the things we are doing are for us, not for a God, evolved over time. Like Kierkegaard, for example, said that uh, humans pray not to change the nature of God or not to, not to influence God, but to influence ourselves. And uh, this keeps developing, the idea that we are not actually doing anything to God, but that we are simply doing this for ourselves. Uh, believing and worshiping is easy because it takes off the burden of ourselves. It makes us focus on something outside of ourselves. It takes off your mind from yourself. What is interesting, however, is that psychology and neuroscience explains that uh, religion is a that religion can be psychologically and neuroscientifically explained for example famously andrew newberg who is a neuroscientist uh, works in neurotheology and he has been observing uh, buddhists and uh, nuns during their uh, religious practices and he observes that uh, the the, 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 the the christian nuns in their meditation and the buddhists in their meditation have the same uh, brain activities the same things are going on in their brain and mind you the nuns believe in the one god buddhists don't believe in a god or anything they don't pray they don't worship they simply meditate and try to be a, a better version of themselves uh neuroscience also finds that psychedelic drugs have the same effect as as, as religion drugs and uh sex have the same effect those things are just more tang tangible which is why uh they're stronger and it's, it is more easier to be attached to them uh but it is of course uh, easier to to explain religion from a, a morality aspect and to believe in that so um psychology acknowledges that religion worship makes us happier that it makes life easier but there are also alternatives to that like meditation yoga different forms of activities that people do nowadays with which they find uh happiness uh in in easier and more reasonable ways that we can actually uh explain and without uh you know relying on ancient ideas of a divine as a result we see that uh, there is no reason at all to believe in a god because it is observed by science, mathematically and historically improbable, and apparently only a human wish. And the only result I can have from this is that the idea of God can simply be dismissed without further question. Right. Um, lots of great stuff here. Um, what are your kind of initial thoughts, Josh, on his final argument? Well, I think there's a few things we could discuss about first. First of all, it says believing in Christianity makes things easier. Like, I, I don't necessarily buy into that premise too much. Because I think from personal experience and from, um, from discussion with my friends, becoming a Christian doesn't necessarily make your life easier, per se. Like, it doesn't make your, your interactions with others easier. I mean, I, live in quite a sec I go to quite a secular school, so I'm literally surrounded by atheists, like, literally that my entire existence. But, but mm -hmm. like, well, like, it doesn't nece necessarily make it easier for you and and. And like it makes you have more moral responsibility. There is you you get to face you sometimes will have to face persecution. There is more burden, and there are a lot of obligations which come along with being Christians. And do I think? And if you ask me, do I think the reward at the end of the day is worth it? Definitely, I would say hands down, everything, all the pain in this world is all worth the the relationship with God. I would definitely believe in that. But does it make life easier from perhaps an evolutionary standpoint? Does it make you? So, like, live better, increase your chances of survival. Perhaps not. And does it make things easier for you? I, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but that is just the start of his argument. So, if if you don't ha have much to say about that, we could move on to the rest part of the argument. I just want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I think I, I understand where he's coming from because I, I hear this a lot that like religion just makes life easier. Like you have this comfort of an afterlife um, and, you know, it just kind of makes you feel better that like you're not going to die. Um, and I, I understand where he's coming from, but I, I disagree on a couple of things. I think it is kind of weird to think about that I'm going to live forever. Like I don't think that I think it's almost it may it doesn't seem as weird to me that just like you just die one day. That's just my own personal kind of like beliefs on that topic. Um, but obviously, I do believe I'm a Christian. I'm going to live forever. And that's weird to think about but it's true and what's true is more important than my thoughts about what is true um and but besides for that i think ap is an ex-muslim um so he would know that like how hard it is to leave islam like you talk about you can hear about people who lose everything when they leave islam and i think the same thing can be said about christian converts to islam like there's christian converts who give up so much and they gain in this life so little um, for becoming a Christian over in, and leaving Islam. Like there is not for all. It's not like you just as a Christian, just have this like easy life for the rest of your life. Um, you have to deny yourself. You have to give away your money. You have to live unselfishly, like all these things. Um, so I kind of disagree on that idea that being a Christian just makes things easier. Um, but I'll let you kind of take it wherever you want now, Josh. Yeah. And I guess the next thing he says is, and I guess we could build on upon that a bit more, I guess. I think I had something in my brain, but I completely, it just disappeared from my brain again, like in a few seconds. Okay, I think it is about Buddhists and nuns having meditations and having the same chemical impulse. Like, I think feelings here, I think um, IP also says that a bit when he says psychological reasons are different from met metaphysical reasons. But also I think that feelings are very different from the truth because, I mean, like, it might be that being nuns, being a Christian and meditating sometimes feels the same. But there's also times where meditating and being a Christian feels very different because I can tell you from personal experience, some of my, like our school invited a yoga person to come into school. And that was before, like before COVID and everything like that. So we were, we had like this nun coming, like, no, I mean, this yoga master coming to school and had us to do meditations. Boy, we hated it with our guts so badly that I, I don't think praying would ever produce the same emotions of hate that we experience on that day. So I, I, I do think that there's a very big difference and I don't want to like just straw man his entire argument, but just mm -hmm. that things can lead to similar chemical impulses doesn't mean that their roots are the same because a lot of things can lead to the same results. For example, believing that one plus one plus one equals three is very different, would lead to the same result as one plus 0 0.5 plus like some random 1000 and then you you straight you change all the different mathematics and impose a new mathematical system and so that equals to three maybe you do get the same results but then one's clearly correct and one's wrong so just that the result is correct doesn't mean that the the process you get to it is correct because sometimes like you know i do some maths for homework and then my answer is correct and the teacher still gives me zero marks my entire working is completely messed up and it's absolute it's an absolute miracle how i got the correct answer in the first place and so so like just that someone can get the correct answer doesn't mean the results or the uh, what am i talking about just that someone can get the right outcomes doesn't mean that the the process or the procedures mm. to get to that outcome are correct or or are all the same 
if you got what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm tracking with you. Um, and I, I think your point is good. And there's one thing I'd add. Um, I think IP gives this in his rebuttal. We're obviously not going to listen to what IP says. We listen to the full debate. Um, but he talks about the idea of, like, you know, like AP brings up that, like, Buddhists will have the same, like, brain activity as, like, a Christian during, like, some sort of, like, religious experience. And IP brings up the point, well, if we are made in the image of God and if we are made to, like, experience God, wouldn't that kind of be the case then that like we all have this capacity to experience God um, that kind of would explain like why the brains would be the same or not the same, but in a similar like pattern is like a Christian or, or a Buddhist. And then kind of use like an argument that you just brought forth where like, it doesn't mean that they're all right then like that wouldn't follow. Um, so I do think we could add that. And he talks about like, you get the same experiences from like drugs and sex as you do like a religious experience. And I just don't know if that's true. I think a lot of people, um, you know, you look at like drug addiction or sex addiction, things like that, that destroy, they destroy lives. Um, at least in America, we all know people who either have passed away or um, are in very serious condition because of drug addiction. Like these things are very dangerous, can have very like life-threatening long-term consequences. Whereas with like a proper religious belief, I don't think you're going to have that same idea unless you adopt like some sort of like very radical form of Islam or something like that. So a couple of interesting points there. I'm curious you think. Yeah, I I think your drug addiction and sex addiction thing is quite is quite a good thing. It just reminded me of something because imagine that drugs and sex do have the same effect. Doesn't mean drugs and sex are the same thing either. Like it, it's a very different thing. And also he also says I think that prayer it does not do anything to God, but it's a way to affect ourselves. Yeah. But I, I I fail to see how that's an argument against Christianity because I don't think anyone's ever said. By praying, we're going to change God's personality or change what God's going to do. Like God's going to do what God's going to do. And it's something that Putin himself, Vladimir Putin, you wouldn't expect me to say this, but he actually provides a theodicy quite recently where he says, well, God's love to us is not via necessarily granting all our wishes, but God's love to us is allowing us to pray to him and giving us the hope in ourselves to continue striving towards the eternal relationship that by by being Christians that we are part of this internal relationship and community with him. So I think prayer in the same way is, does not need to be God granting us things because I think that's a way that some, how do you call it? Those prosperity gospels seem to twist Christianity to say, well, you're going to, you're going to change God by being a good Christian and God's going to grant you with thousands of dollars. You're going to have a mega yacht. You're going to be rich and everything. You're going to have mansions and stuff like that. No, I think, I think being a Christian is that spiritual support, that spiritual relationship with God, and that develops and grows throughout your life. And it's not a physical thing that you're talking about. It's not a state of affairs, but it's a state of mind. And I'm not saying that God doesn't exist and I'm going full on like Zen here, but like what I'm trying to say is that even if we don't change God with our prayers, it doesn't mean that God isn't working with our lives and that by allowing us to pray to him, we become better human beings and become and grow in confidence with him. So I, I fail to see how that argument does interact or argue against Christianity in any in any sense of the word Christian that I or us we use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 
I agree with you completely. And I think that it's a really interesting, like, total case that AP brings up. So just we'll kind of, like, summarize here because we've gotten through his opening statement. Like, I really appreciated his arguments because it's, it's not just, like, the very basic stuff that I'll hear all the time where it's like, oh, you can't prove that God doesn't exist or God that God exists and da 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 It's a very, like, nuanced attempt at just, like, looking at these different things like chaos or um, God of the gaps, or, like the psychology of religion and trying to say, like, what just better explains the data. Um, and if you're listening to this AP, it's really enjoyable. Obviously, we disagree on a lot, but I think there's a lot of really good, interesting points. And I'd love to see um, AP engage more with like um, theist, like in theistic philosophy and stuff more, because I think he's a very smart guy. And I think that um, I think that his views may change over time because there's some things that he gets right, but I also think there's some things where he's probably wrong on. It'd be interesting to see kind of like where this takes him. I'm like, what are your kind of like final thoughts on this kind of like op- this whole opening statement in this debate, Josh? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. It is a very interesting approach, and and it's a nice one. It's a it's a really interesting. It's a helpful one to well, kind of test us against different arguments as well. Because I'm pretty sure that like most of us wasn't expecting AP to raise these arguments, but he did, and I think they are quite an interesting way and an interesting approach to to well, atheism or whatever he wants to call himself. I I remember he didn't really want himself to be called apostate prophet either. So I mean. Like, I, I think that the most important thing here with his discussion here is that it is an interesting point of view. We, these are three rather new or lesser approach arguments. Although I say his first one's quite similar to what Nietzsche argues for. But I mean, apart from that, I think most of this is indeed a very interesting thing. And I completely agree with what you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think we're about we're going to start to wrap this up now. Um, I do want to say before we wrap things up, encourage everyone to subscribe to Josh's channel, Apologetics, for all its link down below. You're doing all sorts of like crazy stuff with Infinity and stuff right now. So just talk about like what's going on with your channel because I'm curious. You're like getting into like crazy stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been I've like I started off the channel with doing a series on the resurrection, but then that didn't go too well. I didn't like the quality of that, so I took that all off the channel. And then I I did one on theodicies and problems of evil. And after that, I've now I've now turned to the infinity because over Christmas I was just reading through infinity, set theory, and everything like that. Because one of my teachers at school said, well, maybe set theory defeats this premise two of the Kalam by saying, well, there exists an infinite set. So I was like, all right, let me do some research on set theory. So basically, my current series on infinity is basically me giving doing live streams on the infinity where I First, I discuss what set theory is, what infinity is. Then I discuss some paradoxes of the infinity. This Friday, I'm going to discuss, well, what are some conceptual arguments against infinity? And well, why are these paradoxes so paradoxical? Where, and, and then finally, I'll discuss some implications on science, on philosophy, on modality and things like that in my last live stream. And I basically use these live streams as com- connect with the community things. So the the actual content that I deliver is normally 40 minutes and I stay for another like hour or two just answering random questions about it and about my life so that's basically my infinity series I'm also doing a verse of the day series because I and where I basically discuss a bible verse and discuss a bit of Dostoevsky in each of these videos I basically take my camera go out walk around Hong Kong show you around like some interesting places that you normally don't see if you're overseas or you don't visit Hong Kong too much I basically walk around these nice kind of scenic places around Hong Kong and well, basically try to show what Hong Kong is and also allow you more specifically aimed at Christians to interact with God's word because it's very easy for us to focus on philosophy, but 
not really focus or think about our relationship with God. So it's kind of a balance on the channel here. So that's kind of the two main things I'm working on on my channel right now. Yeah. Definitely, man. And I'm going to definitely have to have you on. Thank you. Jesus also said, bring him in more often. We've got to bring in the Josh Yen. Um, and we'll have you on again, to, I'm sure, to talk about maybe like evil or the clum or all kinds of stuff. But thank you so much um, for joining me, Josh, to review this debate. I encourage everyone to subscribe to that channel. I thank everyone for tuning in. Deconverted Man, thank you, Jesus. Um, the London Theist, QRT, everyone else. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Apostate Prophet, if you listen to this, Hope you found this edifying. I hope you found our criticisms edifying. You did a lot of great stuff. Feel free to reach out to me or I'm sure you can reach out to Josh too. And kind of, we can, I'd love to work through some of the things we talked about. Um, and if you're new to here in Apologetics, I encourage you to subscribe. If you subscribe to Josh's channel, Apologetics, we're all be sure to subscribe here, leave a like, you can leave a review. Um, and then if you enjoy the show, you can support us on Patreon. I'm so blessed for everyone to support, like 83% funded. So if you want to do that, you can support on patreon.com. So I should hear in Apologetics. But Josh, thank you so much again. It's been so much fun. No worries. Glad to be here anytime. And, and thank you everyone for tuning in. God bless.